Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast. We are joining you from quarantine, and we are so happy to welcome the lovely, talented, and generous Amy Elizabeth Bishop. Amy joined Distel, Goderich, and Barrett as a literary agent and assistant in 2015 after interning for them in 2014. She represents a wide variety of adult fiction and nonfiction, as well as YA and middle grade. Before diving into the world of publishing, she graduated from SUNY Geneseo with a degree in creative writing. Though she grew up upstate, she currently resides in Astoria, Queens. You can find her on Twitter at Amy Liz Bishop. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here from my desk. Actually, I'm not in bed currently. (laughs) (laughs) We're glad you're healthy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. And I'm glad you guys are healthy, too. Hopefully, everyone listening is safe and, and staying healthy as well. So this is our first time at the Manuscript Academy where I bet, and it'll be interesting to see that if there'll be beeping, sirens, (laughs) people (laughs) screaming from other parts of the co-working space. (laughs) So quarantine has a much quieter environment. And we at the Manuscript Academy have been really ramping things up. So we had a write-in last night, which is a lot of fun. We had 400 people from around the world. Jessica, we're... Tell, tell our, our listeners where people were from. It was so interesting. Do you remember? Yeah. The theme was getting unstuck while you are stuck inside with all your characters. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. I am always so impressed with how talented everyone is when they type in their pieces in progress that they're working on when they're inspired by Julie's prompts. And we had guests from... Yeah, we had guests from New Zealand, Zimbabwe, South Korea, Australia, Peru, Canada, Singapore, India, Romania, Germany, the Philippines, Saudi Arabia, and more. (laughs) So for for those who got up in the middle of the night to watch us do a writing workshop, thank you. (laughs) We really appreciate that and applaud your dedication. And it's so interesting how how we as people, like we're all going through the same thing at the same time, which is, I don't think it's happened for I mean at this level ever I mean I yeah. know like you like the plague I mean we just weren't as as mobile so it was super interesting thanks everyone for showing up and Amy I, this is the question that we are hearing most often from everyone people are concerned with the state of publishing should they be querying are things running and with everyone's state of mind should we be holding off now as writers in this process yeah, I've gotten a lot of questions about that too. And I think it's, I've also been asking the same questions of editors on my end. And I know it's something that our whole company addressed earlier this week on like a Zoom call, because that is how we do things now. <laughs> and uh, the feedback I've heard from everybody, my company, editors, we are open for business. We are reading, editors are taking projects, acquisitions remotely. They are doing business. They are hoping to make sales. I think a lot of people are looking for big sales right now because they're hoping to bolster up some confidence, morale, kind of safeguard the company. So we're all still working. I mean, right now might not be the best time to dust off your pandemic filler. I don't know how many people are kind of in the mood uh, for those right now, given that it's happening currently. But we're definitely still working and reading. 
Do you happen to know how acquisitions is working? So people are literally doing acquisitions over Zoom. Yeah, I know I can. One of my roommates is at Macmillan and she said they did launch virtually uh, on Google Hangouts, maybe. And I talked to an editor from Flatiron yesterday and they also launched virtually. And they are, I think they are just doing everything over either Hangouts or Zoom or whatever, but they are, they are acquiring. Wow. And my boss just did two film deals yesterday. Yeah. So it's still working. And I might be getting an option in today. So everyone is working <laughs> just remotely. That's amazing. With the caveat, though, that if you go on an agent's Twitter and they're freaking out, maybe give Don't, it till next I'm, week. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I also think that this week was hard because everyone is adjusting. Mm-hmm. So I have been personally a little like overwhelmed in terms of dealing with queries this week just because we've shifted from working normally last week to working totally remotely this week and figuring out systems and best practices for everything. I think by next week, everyone will have stabilized quite a bit and we'll kind of have gotten into the rhythm of doing things remotely and be in a better headspace generally. I was wondering about that too, because our industry isn't traditionally tech savvy. So I figured there'd be a lot of moments where people are like, wait, how do I do this? What's a webcam? You know, but um, I'm glad it's been working out. I think also the thing this week is that things were changing so quickly that there was just so much news to take in. And I've kind of noticed over the last couple of days that the news has slowed down a little bit in terms of like big changes. I feel like from the end of like last Friday to this Friday, Mm -hmm. we went from working in our offices to working from home, talking about shelters in place, the public schools closed. Like there were just so many big things that changed very quickly that we were all kind of trying to wrap our heads around. And I think going forward, things will still be happening, but maybe not at the same kind of rate as they were last week. So I think it'll also help stabilize and kind of get everyone into a more of a routine. (laughs) Yeah, one of the things we talked about at Facebook Live was that it's a good time for happy stories. Like, I think everyone is looking for a little escapism, something juicy, something that's going to engross them, but also give them, you know, kind of that jolt of happiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'm not sure people who are quarantined are really game for the tearjerker (laughs) or or just the the work that's just a a little heavy. I think there's like, I I hear a call for lightness, which I think is interesting. Rom-coms, definitely. Yeah. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for that insight. You know, as we know, Jessica and I don't usually dive into the current events. <laughs> it feels current this time, though, for sure. Yeah, print, print Run does that so well uh, in the industry. I'm a shout out to them. We love them. But it is, I think that this is something that we're going to have to continue to talk about as we kind of go through this uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Amy, we are so happy that you're here with us. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in publishing and how you knew you wanted to work in publishing? Yeah, absolutely. So I started thinking around my junior year of of college that I needed a job. And this is how all great stories launch, right? (laughs) I need employment. And I knew that I didn't want to teach, which was like 90% of the questions my relatives were lobbing at me. Oh, you're an English major. Do you want to teach? I was like, no. And I was thinking about going to my MFA. And as my friends who were way more talented than I was in the writing space started applying, they were talking about their creative statements, like statements of purpose. And I thought about it and I had no really good reason why I wanted to do my MFA other than to just put off looking for a job. (laughs) 
And that was not quite a good enough reason. So I thought about, okay, what else can I do with my major? And I thought, hmm, publishing seems like a good option. I like to read. I like books. This seems cool. And so I kind of looked into my current job because an alumni from my college knew a friend who was an agent, a Curtis Brown, put us in touch. And she told me all about agenting and what that world was like. And I thought, huh, that sounds really cool. That sounds like something that would cater to all my strengths that I could be really interested in. And so when I applied for internships that summer, I applied to not just publishing houses and scouting firms, but also to agencies. And Distal took me on as an intern. And I left that internship knowing that I, A, wanted to come back to them, and B, that I really loved agenting, and that hopefully someday I would end up back in an agenting job. Obviously, I was going to apply to everything I could get and you know just try to get a foothold in. And luckily, Distal happened to open up a job three months after I graduated and offered it to me. I kind of like hung around <laughs> being like, I'm still poor and unemployed, hire me. <laughs> and um, they did. <laughs> and I've been there ever since. And it's been amazing. So that's sort of my very smooth entry <laughs> into publishing. Well, that's so nice, though, because you got to start there and grow with them. Yeah. I think that's actually pretty rare. It's interesting. A lot of our agents have actually started as interns at Distal and then just been there forever. I'm one of four, I believe. Uh, Michael Barrett, Jim McCarthy, and Kemi Federin are also, we're also all interns and then became members of the company. So that's kind of like a family. It is. We are a giant family. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell us more about you. So tell us what you do when you're not working. I am part of a choir actually in New York, which is really fun. It's this little community choir and we meet every Wednesday for two hours after work. (laughs) And it's been really wonderful. We do a concert in December and May, although I'm not sure about the May one now, obviously. But it's been a really nice outlet. It's very choiry, like it's just very choir music-y and I sang kind of all through school. And so it was really nice to join something like this and have an outlet that's not work-related at all. I've also been getting more into exercise classes, which again are postponed because coronavirus um, what kind? Also, um i've been doing bar classes on oh, saturday i love bar love it's bar. so hard but i love how no one expects you to get 100 percent right at oh, least the one i've for sure to. there was one class i was at where our instructor was doing modifications for like if you wanted to make it harder or easier for yourself and one of the hard ones was like he was doing he was like in plank with like one leg up and then sort of like dipped into a push-up and i was like what is happening <laughs> i was like absolutely not um <laughs> And I do a little bit of spinning and I tried a really weird bounce trampoline workout, which let me tell you, if you are bouncing for 50 minutes, like that is some great cardio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I've just been trying a lot of different things and it's been really nice for like my physical health, obviously, but also mental space. And I've been trying to keep that up as we've been quarantined and at home, but I have discovered I really hate working up by myself. The group class is a really great motivator to shame me into going and... (laughs) kind of encouragement so So I have a follow-up question for that so if you're very musical and actually and and like really kind of like in your body people who work out they kind of have a sense of like a beat so do you specifically look for the beat of a of a piece of work or a query letter as you're looking at it that's a weird question I don't think we've ever asked that question here but I feel like there's something musical about a great query and there's something musical about a great book yeah, um, I guess you could say connection. I kind of look at like, yeah, definitely beats of a story. Like I think I'm, I very much hone in on pacing. I have a sense of whether something feels a little rushed or 
is moving too slowly. I, I've never thought about it linked to music, though. That's really interesting. Mm. Hmm. I guess sentence rhythm, you know, it drives me nuts if it's the same sentence rhythm over and over and over again. Like varied yeah, sentence rhythm sure. does a lot. Yeah. Or, or I see something where it's like a three word sentence for a whole paragraph. I'm like, come on, guys. Join us together. So what would you do in an alternate universe with no publishing? Oh my God. Does that mean like no books? I don't know. I, I um, think so. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like you drop into something totally I new. I think I'd probably watch a lot more tv <laughs> but i don't know i really like to cook too so maybe i would just take up professional cooking mm. oh what have you made lately well we've been so we've been quarantined like fully so we've been kind of making do with what we have i made a really good shepherd's pie mm. upside down so like mashed potatoes on the bottom oh cool <laughs> on monday and modified that a little bit because we didn't have turnips which I made egg salad. We're going to probably make like a sausage, onions, and peppers thing tonight. And I made banana oat pancakes yesterday. And I'm probably going to make banana bread tomorrow because I have a lot of like rotting bananas on my shelf. So, yeah. And I probably will make bread this weekend too because I have time. (laughs) (laughs) What's something you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry? One thing that I did not think I was going to do when I entered publishing was nonfiction. I really didn't have a lot of experience with it. I did not know anything really about it. I had read some memoirs. I'd read lightly in the nonfiction genre, but I just, you know, it's, you submit me a proposal. Like, I'd never worked with a proposal before. And uh, my boss was like, look, you got to do nonfiction if you want to, like, live. So <laughs> start, start. Here you go. I was like, okay. Um, can, can, I- you, can, you stop? can you explain what that means to me? Because I'm not, like, like, when you said that, I was like, I don't even know what you're, like... Oh what yeah. Like what does that mean? Is that is that a big seller or is that yeah, like I mean sales for libraries or nonfiction just generally tends I mean in our experience has tended to sell easier and a little bit quicker. I think it's maybe because the audiences are more sharply defined and there's sort of more boxes you can tick that are more certain with nonfiction mm-hmm. than with fiction, which is so subjective. And I will say, like, I think I'm 60, 40 fiction, nonfiction fiction right now in terms mm-hmm. of sales. I mean, I, I've had much more success selling nonfiction than fiction. <laughs> and I think, again, like, there's just more defined categories. There's more guarantees of success. Like, if you are someone who loves reading historical narrative nonfiction, there's a good, you know, you already have a built-in audience there. And I think in terms of credentials, those can be more solid. Yeah, we've just, her mantra, she's, you know, she sells a lot of nonfiction, so I think also part of that is familiarity. But she has been right. I've had a much easier time selling nonfiction than fiction. And it tends to sell for a little bit more money than, than fiction generally too. So I, her advice to me was if you're starting out as an agent and you're trying to get some sales and trying to get some bigger sales, try nonfiction. And you might so not be I, good at it, but you can try it and see if you are. And yeah. So we I always hear about platforms. So just, I know I'm like digging in here. Um, I'm like, Whoa, I want to know Everyone more. always asks about platforms. Yeah. Is platform important to you? Because we've heard from um, other people on the podcast that, that it's everything. And we'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah. For nonfiction, platform is super important. I, especially with memoir, I mean, I've had so many amazing memoirs flame out because the platform's not big enough. I think editors are really looking for that built-in platform, that built-in audience. If you have 100,000 Twitter, Instagram followers and 10% buy that book, that's what 10,000 copies sold already. Is that math right? You know, that's so a lot of 10% buying it is probably higher than <laughs> right, of course. But like, you know, there's still like, you know, you still kind of built in the more numbers you have to show, the more 
kind of automatic kind of buy-in almost the publishers feel they have. And I think, you know, even with stuff that's more expert driven business or self-help, the reach matters. I mean, I've gotten that feedback from so many editors, just, oh, the platform's not big enough. Oh, the audience isn't big enough. It really, really matters. And I think even for fiction, I don't think numbers matter so much, but contacts are huge. One of my authors is really linked into her MFA kind of community and uh, the more literary space. And we've been able to get so many great blurbs I wouldn't have been able to get, but she had personal connections to them. And it's been amazing for her debut. So it, it does matter. And I think it definitely matters more in nonfiction than fiction, though. Yeah. And I think sales teams love to see numbers in front of them oh, that yeah. make a very objective case for this is why this book will succeed. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because then it's look at these numbers versus, well, it's like this book and this book and this book because we say so. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've been I've gotten killed on a lot of books that just haven't had a big enough platform. And so I'm starting to get choosier about what I'm picking on in, in different spaces. Do you go after people who have a big platform and see if they want to write a book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time. Can you tell us the story? I actually went after a woman who did a beautiful nonfiction essay. And she was like, oh, I actually have a novel. I was like, okay. Wow. And so her novel is coming out of Park Row Books in September, which is really oh, beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you. So that was like a happy success story. I feel like a lot of the people I've gotten with bigger platforms have actually come to me now that I'm thinking about it, um, which has been interesting. But yeah, I'm definitely still chasing people down and, and looking and kind of browsing the internet for interesting folks. And I think that makes a lot of sense with nonfiction because it's hard to build a platform. But if you find someone who already has it and they can write, then you are in business. Yep. Agreed. Tell us the story of the first time you saw one of your books for sale. Oh my gosh. I had two books come out on the same day. (laughs) So I like ran to Barnes and Noble and like ran on the shelves and took selfies with all of them. It was so exciting. (laughs) One of them um, was on a big shelf, like of like new paperback paperback sellers and it was just so exciting then I was I was seeing my parents a couple of weeks later and we went into Barnes and Noble and they were so excited to see the books there and it's just so thrilling it's sort of an I can't believe it moment especially when it's your first few books that are out on shelves and you're like oh my gosh like I helped do this (laughs) it's just it's sort of I can't believe it euphoria yeah and just a very overwhelming sense of, of pride too and just, you know, the fingers crossed that it does well. But yeah, I feel like whenever I go into bookstores now, I always check to see my authors. I'm like, are you here? Are you here? And it's always very exciting when you see them. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing. What do you wish, what do you wish writers knew about things on your side of the desk? I actually did a whole Twitter thread about this kind of recently. And I was sort of talking about just we have a lot of feedback where people are like, they're just soulless monsters who are looking for reasons to reject us. And wow, it's not true. I mean, we get, I get probably 30 to 50 queries a week. My partners get way more. And, you know, that's all stuff we want to read through and be kind of careful and considerate about. We don't love sending out rejections. You know, it's not we're like, yes, it's rejection time. So exciting. <laughs> and we wish we could offer personal feedback on everything, but sometimes we just volume wise, it's, it's kind of impossible. And I just feel like sometimes it's easy to lose a sense on both ends. It's easy to lose a sense of a person on the other end, uh, not just like a, a robot, like hitting no. And we're all reading nights and weekends and, you know, we're in this because we love it. We love writers. We love authors. Like we're not out to get you. And I think I'm sure like rejections are very discouraging if you've gotten a lot of them and you know we get rejections on our end from editors all the time like every day so 
I think just sort of, you know, it is a person behind the emails trying, you know, we're all trying and we all hopefully have everyone's best interest in heart, but it's hard sometimes to sort of convey that. What's one of your memories of your early days in New York City or in the industry? So when I was interning at Distal, I was also working 40 hours a week at a restaurant in East Village to like live and doing 20 hours a week at Distal. So I was doing 60 and I was doing night shift at the restaurant. So oh my gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. But I was also getting to live in East Village. So I could walk to the internship. We're based in Union Square and walk to the restaurant, which is kind of amazing. And I feel like I got to know the East Side so well. And that's like, I still have all these like warm and fuzzy memories from my days like in the East Village because that I just like crawled all over every part of that, like part of the East Village. But I definitely remember getting off shift at 2 a.m., going home sleeping until like 8.30 ish and then getting up and going to the internship and kind of being like I'm so tired yeah but it's also maybe a little rose colored now but those like that summer was like one of the best summers of my life it was Aww. it was so exciting to be learning so much at distal and kind of seeing the nightlife in the city on the other end of my waitressing job um, and making friends there and kind of just experiencing New York in the summer can you tell our listeners who might not be familiar a little bit about what the East Village is like? Because it is a special place. Yeah, I. it's so bustling. I mean, it's one of those places where there's all these restaurants and bars and kind of old and new mixed in. Um, there's a block between, I think it was like East 7th and East 9th on 2nd Avenue. That was my favorite block because it had this tiny hole-in-the-wall pierogi, like Polish place. That is not yes, the Selka. No, it's another one. Another one? I didn't even know there was another so one. It closed, which is why. But it was literally like they could only fit a like a diner counter in there. And you had to kind of edge <laughs> behind the stools to get anywhere. And then you could you saw them cooking everything kind of in front of you. It was a tiny, tiny space. But it was so cheap, which I was I was there a lot. <laughs> and Vasalka was a little bit too expensive for me at that at that point in my life, unfortunately. Um, but this place was amazing. There was palm frites was still like down a block before it oh, burned yeah, before down. It fire. We <laughs> and then Bar Virage, which was my favorite bar, which also closed, <laughs> was on the other end of the block. And it was just like my perfect little like trio of places to go. Uh, I remember when I first got there, kids were accessorizing with safety pins in their hoodies, and yeah. a lot of people had thigh-high boots that were platform, men too, and brightly colored fishnet stockings, and there was a store called Trash and Vaudeville that had all the spiky fishnet, everything oh you could God. possibly need, <laughs> and now there's a Pinkberry. So it's I think when I entered the East Village in like the bougier phase phase of it, like I remember going to like Buffalo Exchange and like oh yeah, you know all of that area. And we used to live really close to Tompkins Square Park and Tompkins oh, nice. Square Bagels, so I ate a lot of bagels. But yeah, it, it's just it's a really special, energizing, creative, exciting place to be. So I'm I'm super happy that you got to spend your first summer in New York there. That's awesome. Yeah, and that place actually had a, a roof too. I was subletting from a friend. I had literally like a shoebox of a room as one does, but it was so great. <laughs> the worst probably part was I got to also learn about cockroaches in New York very, very quickly that, that year, that summer. Mm-hmm. And I realized that one of them flew. So that was. Oh, fun. yeah. I was like, absolutely not. Um, yeah, when the big ones fly, that is not good. It makes me wish for a cat just to get one. Them. Like, you either are big or you can fly. You don't get both. Like, that's just not fair. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. It's so, true. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, honestly. Um, no, it's real. If it's like four inches shiny and flying, you do not want that in your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, publishing. <laughs> Ladies. So if a writer is starting from scratch, what are your best tips? So if you're starting totally from scratch, I would say probably get get the ideas out for sure, um, but also solicit outside feedback. I mean, you might want to take craft classes, depending. You might want to like, am I on the right track here? Um, there's tons of freelance editors who are available, um, and even just like people who you know will give you a objective an objective opinion. Um, who won't be like, no, this is amazing. It's like the best thing I've ever read. Well, you want to hear encouragement too, but you also want like actual critical feedback too. And yeah, I think just sort of maybe taking some writing classes too, just in terms of, there's a lot of pieces that go into writing and I think it's harder than a lot of people expect. It's harder than I expected. I took fiction workshops in college and I was terrible at them. Um, I cannot write short stories. And I think it just, it does involve a little bit more work maybe than people think writing some people are just naturally good at it and some people are good and have to work at it and I think even the people who are brilliant put in a considerable amount of work learning how to write so that might not be a bad idea of taking some classes online or if you can like audit a community class sounds great that, that that's like you know and I think one of the things we've been talking a lot about is build your structure. If, if you think that you're going to publish on a structure that's not based on, you know, good solid practice, mm-hmm. then you might get lucky once, but you're probably not going to keep getting lucky. So absolutely, I, I totally agree with that. And I think too, great ideas, we're always so excited to see great ideas. And I think one of the most disappointing things is to see this great idea come in a query and then realize the writing isn't up to scratch. Yeah. And we're like, oh man, like it's such a good idea. Like, you know, so the writing really does matter. It, great ideas are important and they'll fuel you, but you need to also have the fu- like the fundamentals, like the foundation there too. Yeah. And I think it's good for you just to get in your mind the process of editorial feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like if you go to the bookstore and you read a bunch of book jacket copy, you can get that voice in your head and, and help transfer that voice into your query letter. I think watching people do editorial feedback can help you learn how to think that way. You can just kind of absorb it and then you'll know more than you know. And kind of jumping in on that too, the other thing you can do is read books in the genre that you're writing in. I mean, I feel like I've learned so much about structure and style and craft from just reading and seeing what other writers do effectively and Mm -hmm. it's not it can't take the place of of doing classes but it can really help in terms of looking at dialogue how do other authors structure dialogue how do they balance exposition and dialogue how do they set up a scene how do they introduce characters you know you in a great book it feels effortless you don't see any of the gears turning and that's what you kind of are striving for you don't want to sort of dump information on your reader but you, yeah, I think just reading has helped me so much as an editor, oddly, and in terms of sort of knowing what works in genre and what is what is helpful. And also sort of so you can assign reading to clients like, hey, have you seen this book that's kind of like yours, but similar? What if you took this element of this book and started going a little bit more in that direction, just as an example versus a, what if you made it more exciting? <laughs> you know, that's so yeah. big. It's hard to, <laughs> you know, giving someone something that they can look at. And so you're looking at the same thing and have the same editorial feeling in mind when you're talking about it, it makes it a little less slippery. Mm-hmm. So what would you do if you had all the resources in the world and you knew you could not fail? And I knew I could not fail. Mm-hmm. 
I think I would probably start in Asia because I've never been. It's like the one continent I haven't cracked yet. And I feel like I don't want to go until I have actual time to spend there. It's just such a long trip. I also was born in South Korea and I've never been. So I'm adopted. So I just would like to go spend some time there. And if I have all the resources resources in the world, money won't matter. So um, I'm really just going to live it up. But I think I would want to do kind of a world tour. I've done a lot of Europe. So I might want to focus on like Asia and South America and, you know, maybe like Finland and Sweden and Norway and like kind of those places. But I just, I love travel so much and I think it enriches me and, and my partner a lot and strengthens our relationship and I think you can just learn so much and get inspiration and kind of come back feeling rejuvenated and refreshed I always wish I had like one extra week of vacation to just <laughs> a little bit more so I think I would travel if I had all the resources in the world and nothing could go wrong <laughs> right. exactly so what's your number one tip for writers I would say foster a community and I think with the community, there's so much. You get support, you get feedback, you get a sense of what other people are doing. And I think sometimes writing can feel very isolating and very lonely, depending on kind of where you are, especially if you're starting out and you don't have that kind of community. But I think writing is at its best when it is more collaborative, when you have people around you to support you and and read your stuff and give you feedback and encourage you. Um, it does not happen in a vacuum. None of publishing happens in a vacuum. There are a lot of opinions and people involved. And I think, you know, that can really foster growth and just the stuff you need to get going in the morning. So, Well, speaking of community, we have an event with Amy coming up very soon, March 31st, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, so it's a query panel. And Amy here is going to go through as many of your queries as we can, drawn at random followed by a Q&A. So one thing I like about these events is that everyone is super supportive, super constructive, and it just feels like a nice evening out with your smartest writer friends, wherever you may be. So you can learn more about that at manuscriptacademy.com slash live. Amy, thank you so much. This is great. My pleasure. It was really fun. Good to talk to you guys too and connect a little bit. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to your to your panel. I think that whatever people are writing, I feel like I would trust you to give excellent feedback on whatever they're writing, whether fiction, nonfiction, for kids, for adults, anything anyone can come up with. Yeah, Amy's got a great brain, you guys. I got to spend oh, some time you. with her recording a class that's coming up as well. And yeah, it's just, she's she's impressive. She's that person you want to work with because she thinks about the details. Oh, so. geez. I'm blessing <laughs> over here. You can't see it, but... <laughs> no, it's true though. And we, we have so many great brains come through the Manuscript Academy, but it's nice to stop and appreciate like all the incredible brain power that we get to work with. So we're happy you're here, Amy. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And that only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.